me before, hands up who hasn't seen me before, and who doesn't really care if they've... <laughs> Do you know, uh, they reckon speakers come to this venue at least twice in their career, once on the way up and once on the way down. It's good to be back. <laughs> so, um, I'd like to question the way you see your world. How do you see your world? How do you see your reality? A man called Epictetus in 50 BC said, it's not events that bother or, uh, or affect people, it's their perception of them. It's our perception that causes us problems. So, my first question is, how easily led are you? Now, let's try an experiment. I call it an experiment because if it doesn't work, it doesn't look so bad. This is an experiment. I'm going to promise you I'm going to fool you. That's a, that's a challenge, isn't it? And then let's see if I can. And then my, my, the next thing I'm going to say is how easily are we fooled every day of our life when we, we live our life. Okay, so if you could put your arms forward and turn your hands out. Wiggle your fingers. That's got absolutely nothing to do with it. But, yeah. Okay, hands out. Now cross your hands. Now, you'll notice immediately that not everyone's the same. Some of you, your dominant hand is your left hand. So let's just, yeah, your dominant hand is your left hand. And for others, your dominant hand is your right hand. Apparently, it's got something to do with the way you write, but it doesn't matter. Wiggle your thumbs. Now, like me, bring your thumbs up. Okay. Not as easy as it looks, is it? Right, what I need is a vic- volunteer to help me. I need to borrow a £10 note. This is better with a 50, but we'll do it with a 10. Has anyone got a £10 note I can borrow? Um, uh, this gentleman here, with the look of indifference. Hello, sir, how are you? Would you help me? Thank you, sir, that's very kind. Thank you very much. I'll give you that back in a while. You can take a seat. I promise, I won't pick on you at all. And what I also need is this lady here. Hello, madam. Hello. Would you come and join me? Well, give her a welcome. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Hiya. Now, look. Let me just move this back. Face forward, madam. Would you just examine that £10? Make sure you're happy with it. Are you happy with it? Are you sure? Okay, I'm going to place a little purse onto your hand. Put your hand flat. You've got lovely hands, haven't you? Just like my builder. He's got hands just like that. I'm actually from Liverpool. Have you heard of Liverpool before? Oh, yeah. In Liverpool, they've just found a new mountain called Killer Man for a Gyro. <laughs> I can say it because I am actually from Liverpool. It's true, yeah. And all my relatives are from Liverpool, so I might sort of chat a little bit about what they're like. They've just voted the most romantic man in the country, a docker, believe it or not, from Liverpool. He's been married to his wife 47 years. It was in the Sun newspaper, so it must be right, yeah? Married 47 years. His wife died seven years ago. And out of love and commitment to the marriage, he's been collecting her pension every week for the last seven years. (laughs) All right, here we go. I'm going to take from this note a little piece of red silk. Did you know, sir, if it's got silk in it, it's a fake? It's a fake. I'll take it to the police station tomorrow for you. Okay. Is that real silk, madam? Uh, yes. 
What I'd like to do is borrow that ring. Can I borrow? Do you mind if, can I? Yeah, does it come off? Oh, hello. Let me have a little look at that. Love from Billy. Where is Bill tonight? Is he? He's not in. All right, okay. Martin Tywin. Right. We're going to place the silk inside the ring like so. Then we're going to place the silk and the ring inside the note there. You can see. I'll push it straight in like so. Now it goes. It spins around. It spins. And you, sir. You, sir. Sorry to wake you. Yeah, you, sir. Yeah. (laughs) It lands in your back pocket. Have a look in your back pocket. Have a look in your back pocket, yeah? But it doesn't stay there very long. His eyes were nodding off. He was... He's into that place I call La La Land. It's a lovely place, isn't it? I go there every night. I watch the telly and off I go, yeah. So, I'll do it again. Ready? You watch this. What's your first name? Lilan. Hi, Lilan. Nice to meet you. All right, now watch. Look. Lilan, there's the ring. I'll place the ring inside here, like so, and I'll push it in, like that. And it flies. Can you feel anything here? Watch. If I open that, inside there is a silk. And if I take the silk out of there, on there, is in fact your ring. Now, just for fun, hold your applause. I can see you're going to let it out, but don't. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't. So, would you... um, We need someone that hasn't got a clue what's going on. This fella here. Would you... Would you you help, sir? Just come here, sir, if you can. We've never met, have we? No, no. Yeah, lovely to meet you, sir. So come and stand here. So you look very uncomfortable, which is perfect. Now stand there. Turn your left hand up for me, yeah? No, you're not in court. It's okay. Right, now put your hand flat there. Keep your fingers closed, yeah? Do try and take an interest. Lovely. Now I've got the ring here. I'm going to place the ring under the handkerchief. With your other hand, I just want you to hold the bottom of the ring with your thumb and your first finger. Have you got it? Okay, just bring your hand apart. Bring this hand here and that hand there. Do not move any hand. Watch very carefully what's going to happen. In a second, you're very, very gently going to let go of that. You're going to grab it as he lets go. Hopefully, as he lets go, you should also grab the ring. The tip is don't go for the top, go for the bottom. When you let go, don't move this hand, because hopefully it'll end up in here if she misses it. You ready? Okay, here we go. The count three. One, two, three, let go. Now, the great thing is it's spinning, it's spinning, it's spinning. And you, sir, you go, no, no, I'm joking. (laughs) I love his enthusiasm, isn't he? Great, yeah. Did you feel it? No. Close your hand. Which one? Yeah, the left one, yeah? I do do the comedy. (laughs) I do the gags. Now turn your hand down. Under your watch, you'll see a ring. Can you see it? Can you take it out of there for me? Just pull it out. And madam, would you examine that? Is that your ring? That's amazing. Thank you very much. Now, the thing is, I used to be a perfect. I was 20 years as a magician doing magic all over the world. And I, one of the specialities I did was pickpocketing. 
So I stole watches. And to put a, for me, to put a watch at, or another watch or a, a strap under the back of a watch or to put something under someone's watch is relatively easy. Because what you're doing is you're misdirecting people in such a way that they're not noticing what you're doing. My challenge to you tonight is that sometimes as we live through life, other people's expectations upon us cause us to behave in a way which can damage our potential, stop our uh, believing that anything is possible, and, and actually get us to sabotage our own future. Sometimes we just don't, don't believe we can do it. We always think someone else can do it. When actually any one of us has the power to change ourselves, our environment, and each and every situation we find. So, look, if I take a £10 note, watch, there's no rabbits up my arms, only hairs. <laughs> Comedy here, tragedy on this side, that's great. <laughs> I'm going to fold it in half. My fingers will never leave my hands at any time. And I will take it and change it. Remember, only a second ago, I said to us, what is real? How about if I actually change this from what looks like 10 into a 20 pound note? Hands up if you'd like the 20. Hands up if you'd like the 20. Well, actually, the funny thing is, sir, this is absolutely fake. (laughs) I'm getting us to challenge our perspective on what is real. It's absolutely fake. It doesn't exist at all. You see, if I take a piece of paper here and I fold it and unfold it and change it again, I'll change it back into the original £10. You might have seen paper. I saw that paper's potential to be something else. Okay. I'm going to keep hold of that for a minute, sir. Do you mind? You're a very amiable bloke. You could lend me some money. Okay. Now, if I take this £10 note, I'd love, um, who would I like? Um, this lovely lady in the black with her arms folded like that. That tells me her body language doesn't, she doesn't want to come up, which is normally perfect to get them to come. <laughs> I'd like you to come up, madam, if you would. Have you ever seen me before? No. How do you know it's me? <laughs> you don't. Just checking. I find you very attractive. Is that a bad time to share that? Okay, no, I'm only joking. It's a joke. But it was a misdirection. Did you notice what I did there? I've already done a move. Would you just put your initials on the note for me? You mean right there? Yes, please, yeah. Anywhere? Any, where are you from, madam? Um, I'm British, but I live in the States. I'm you live in the States, okay. Were you a difficult child? <laughs> only joking. Just put some initials on there for me. That would be wonderful. Thank you. Are you a doctor? No. Oh. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to give you that. Some elastic. And I'm going to take this £10 note here. Your initial. Yeah. And I'm going to fold it in half. Like so. Like this. And then I'm going to roll it very, very tight. Here. Yeah. I'd like to take one little equal elastic band out of there for me. Now, I'm not very good at this because I need glasses for this, but are you okay? You see that fine? Could you wrap that on there? That's fine. And then I will wrap that again over. 
If you hold that, you can, you can feel that that's on there. Perfect. Now, a little bit like what we've just done, but we'll try it a different way. This time, the note has been signed. So it would be very, very hard for me to switch it or do anything naughty like that, right? And if you put your fingers there, you can feel the note and the elastic band that you've just put on it. Are you convinced of that, madam? You don't look very convinced, do you? Yeah? Okay. Thank you. Now hold on to that tight. Bring your hand forward there. Right. Now just wait one moment. We also need someone to help me with the keys. I also have a lock here and some keys, which I'm going to place here. I'm going to throw the keys to you, sir. You are now the jailer. In fact, I'll leave the lock here in full view at all time. There it is. Ready? Now... I'm just going to grab this watch. You ready? One, two, three. And pull it. And again, something's just happened. Would you take the lock? And so, would you just come to the stairs for me? Would you just open the padlock there with the key? I'll take the lock and the key. And if you could just pull that out there for me, madam. And I'll take the lid. Now, if you could empty what's inside there into your hand. And if you could open it for me. And tell me, what is it you have? Brian, I think I've got your £10 note. <laughs> is it signed? Um, yes, it is. It is. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, so that's what I did for a living for 20 years, right? I used to go around and play, play around, have fun, entertain. I was the magician at Arsenal Football Club for 17 years. In fact, I was working at Arsenal this morning because they... They just said, look, you know, if I, if I can fit it in my diary, I go and work and they pay me sometimes with tickets and I get tickets to the game. So I was down working at Arsenal this morning. Shame we lost to Chelsea. Any Chelsea fans here? Yeah, they did really well. I have to say they did really well. Uh, I didn't watch the game because I was driving here. So I used to fool people. Now, I was the magician for Warner Brothers. I was the magician for United Artists. Uh, I used to do all the movie premieres. And I also worked for McLaren F1. So I used to go and interview the drivers at Drivers. Uh, Bernie Eccleston's company contacted me and said, would you come and work in the paddock club? And I was doing all that. Now, what was interesting was, um, I, from 17 to 23, I worked as a Royal Marine commando. Now, if anybody here knows where North is, will you point to it? Now, especially the guys, point to where you think North is. Where is North? This gentleman, this, he thinks North's here. This gentleman thinks North is here. Okay. Well, to help us, I have a compass. And actually, my compass says north is there. You're nodding, sir. That's what it says. The compass is pointing that way. It's, um, it's a proper silver compass. Now, what's interesting is, with this compass, is... I used to, uh, in the Marines, I used to be a mountain Arctic warfare instructor. And I was in the Marines in the, in the Cold War. And 
my job was to teach guys how to live and fight. And we used to patrol right by the Russian border. And apparently they had almost a million men on the border. And if, we, uh, if they wanted to come through in the 80s, they would have probably come through Norway, Finland, or through Turkey and other places. So our job was to basically just cause mayhem. But there was only 2,000 of us, so it probably would have been us just actually getting killed within five hours or something. But we had to train them. We had to show them that we, we could do it. And one day, we were above the snow line uh, in an, a whiteout. It was about minus 45. Uh, snow was falling about a half a foot to a foot an hour. And we were above the tree line where there's no trees. And my job was to bring 50, 60 guys in. We'd lost uh, 120 men two years before in an avalanche. And the year before, we'd lost one in the whiteout. He'd fallen back. One of the young Marines came up to me and said, I've never experienced anything like this. It's my first Arctic winter. Are we going to die? And I said to him, there's a high chance we will if we don't stick to our training. Because the first guy in the patrol has to step. The snow is so deep and we've got so much kit. The second guy has to step. The third guy can ski. Every 50 meters, they step to the right. The next three go. I'm always the fourth guy with the compass. So I said to him, if we stick on the compass... If we stick on the compass, we've already checked out the map. We know the terrain. We shouldn't fear anything. We should rely on our training. We should get there safely. Don't let the wind affect you. Don't let your perception of the wind and the cold affect your experience. Stay with what you know you can do. Anyway, about five, six hours later, we got where we needed to be. And what I realized was, you know, what we need is we need significant guides in our lives. We certainly need significant um, things that we can rely on, points of structure, points of reference. For me, that day, it was a compass. Anyway, so when I left the Royal Marines, I, I did uh, seven winters as a professional skier out in uh, Austria and France. I was living this, like, party lifestyle. I don't know if you've been skiing, any of you gone to ski resorts. You know, it's like the glue vines flowing, you're having a good time, and you wake up a bit worse for wear next day in the ski resort. You go in, I did that, and then I, I sort of, I was earning a lot of money as a magician. I, I spent two years for the, with the British Telemark team as well, and then I, was, I morphed into doing magic for a living. And, and I remember I was living with a guy, um, well, as I was doing magic, I stopped, started getting more and more success, and this woman said to me, do you want us to manage you? She managed Home and Away Neighbour Stars and EastEnders Stars in London. So I said, okay. So I worked for her, and I, I, I lived with one of the guys, and he was on Home and Away. And he was earning £10,000 a week in pantomime with me, and I was on 125. And as we were living together, he used to come home crying. So I said, you're on £10,000 a week. This is the early 90s. Every girl likes you. Everyone wants your autograph. And you're on TV. Why are you so unhappy? He said, I, Tim, I don't know what it is, but there's something missing in my life. He says, it's not like I'm looking for it, but it's like an ache. I, I can't explain it. And I said, well, I don't mean to be funny, but you're ruining it for me, mate, because I want to be famous. And I want a TV show, and I want my own magic show, and I don't want to be around you when you've got it all and you're unhappy. And then I thought, well, it must just be him. And then I was, I was meeting other stars in these movie premieres, and everyone I met, most of them, deep down, were insecure and very, very unhappy. Because most of them, once they got fame, they spent all their life trying to keep it. And it, it was just never-ending. So I thought, well, this is really difficult, isn't it? 
So I knocked on this, uh, I thought, well, I'm going to explore some deeper things, you know. So I knocked on this church door. It's like a vicar's dream, isn't it? This bloke turns up, nice motor, suit on. I went, hello, mate, I've been in the forces. You do beginner, intermediate, advanced courses. Have you got any courses on God? He went, yeah. I said, did you get food on it? He went, yeah, brilliant. How much is it? Free, brilliant. I said, I'll be on it. I'll sign up. And that was the start of my journey of sort of thinking, well, you know, I don't know anything about the spiritual stuff. Uh, I didn't think I could do it, but I thought I'd explore it. Let me just tell you one of the things I, I learned. So I did an, they put me on an alpha course. And uh, apparently that's what you're running after you're, you're here promoting some of this tonight. That's what the alpha thing is over here. I'm going to tell you my experience of it uh, in a moment. But one of the things I learned on it was that actually I pretended I didn't like hanging around with new people. But by week four of the course, what kept me going back was the people I met on the course. It was the total opposite. I actually liked hearing their stories. And some of them were quite horrible. And I quite liked the, the openness and honesty. Like they just slagged off the church and everyone just sat there and never said anything. I thought, that's really refreshing. Because normally when people do that, you know, you get them knocking at the door. They sort of have all these rehearsed lines, don't they? But on the other course, no one said anything. I thought, well, that's cool. I can say what I like. The first week or so, I kept thinking, oh, they're going to be on the phone or knocking at the door and all that malarkey, but it was fine. Anyway, I learned about this thing called forgiveness. So I'm going to illustrate that with a little effect. Here we go. It goes like this. I don't know about you, they, they said that you know, many of us have what we call hurts, habits, and hang-ups in our life. Now, the problem is most of the things that, that have happened to us since our childhood are in our lives, some of which are unconscious. And that forms the way we see our world. So for me, it was um, watching uh, my parents divorce when I was younger. That, this was an effect on my heart. Uh, another thing was um, you know, that first love, not getting it. You know that? You've always had that crush on someone. That didn't work. Um, the times I, I was in Northern Ireland with the Marines and things were going wrong, it was quite difficult. We were getting shot at. Uh, and I could name countless things where my heart has been damaged. And many people I meet, what they do is they go to the doctor and they say, look, I've got these problems and I, I can't sleep and issues and whatever. And all they tend to be able to do is give us... Um, antidepressants and stuff, which are fantastic if, if people are struggling with those sort of issues. But I don't think it, it deals with the issue of the heart. Now, when you get an invitation, three things happen. First of all, you ask yourself, who's it from? Then you ask yourself, who's it to? And then you ask yourself, what's it for? And I learned on this course that God, because if you believe in him, has sent out an invitation. And apparently, it's an invitation to have a relationship with him. And in that relationship, he wants to heal our hearts. And I said to them, does that mean I've got to go to church? They said, no. I said, does that mean I've got to stop doing the things I like doing? They said, no. But what was funny was, as I was going through the course, and as I finished the course, the things that I was doing, which were like self-harming, although I didn't realize, it started just not being a desire anymore. They sort of drifted away. And I noticed that bit by bit, my heart was slowly being uh, repaired. At, at one point, I put it in a box. I didn't want anyone to talk to me. And, you know, I sort of went through this real time of processing. But bit by bit, I realized 
that yes, my heart could be restored. Even though there were creases in it, that was part of my story. Are you with me? They said to me, look, what? it's like this. They said, if God exists, if he's created the world, this is what he's done. The Christian view is, if God's created the world, he's created it for people to have a relationship with him. And when we're born, we get free will. We get life and free will. Free will means we can go and do what we like. Because if God, technically the Christian faith says God is love. If God is love, that means that he'll never impose himself on you. He'll never force himself on you. It's not his right to do that because love has to be free. You don't say to your kids, you know, I don't tempt my wife and say, right, tell me you love me. And then she says, oh, I'm scared. Tell me you love me. Okay, I love you. It's not the same as if she says, I love you. It's a completely different thing. Love has to be free. The problem is, if we have freedom to accept or reject God, when we go about our own way, more often than not, from my experience, we end up hurting ourselves, we end up hurting others, and if you believe God exists, apparently we've hurt him. Now, I want to illustrate that with a little story about uh, how God wants to reach out to us. They said to me, Tim, you've got to forgive yourself. You've got to learn to forgive others. And then you've got to ask God to forgive you. The hardest thing was forgiving myself. Because I don't know about you, but we tend to beat ourselves up about things we do. So the story goes like this. There was a guy uh, who was a judge. And when he was a young man, he had a friend that he did everything with from the age of five. They were best mates until they were 18. And then he went to university. They split up. They stopped seeing each other. The judge never knew where he was, this, this guy. Anyway, he'd had his house burgled. And it was, the burglar hadn't just stolen stuff, he'd wrecked the house. So this judge was sitting in the court, and, and he'd heard that the man he was presiding over, the court case, was actually what he thought, by a fluke, was actually the guy that had burgled his house. So he thought, you know, I'm really going to make sure justice is done here. Because hands up, if you've had something done to you, and you've said, I want justice... I think everyone here could say, I want justice. I've had something bad done to me. I want, I want justice. We all seek and cry for it all the time. So this judge sat there. Anyway, this guy came before him and he, he looked at him and his heart leapt. He realized it was his friend. And he thought, what can I do? I'm in crisis, you know. And why would he do that to me? Oh, no, he didn't, th- he didn't know it was my house. And he said, well, I've got to do my job. The law is the law. I've got to see that justice is done. So he charged him £10,000 fine, which he knew he couldn't pay. And he gave him a three-year suspended sentence. And you could see his friend, his shoulders visibly drop. He knew he'd obviously fallen on hard times. But then, out of love and compassion, he took his robes off and his wig, went down and wrote a cheque for £10,000 and gave it to his friend and said, I'll pay it for you. I'll pay. That's what I heard that God has for, for me. He says, you've, anyone that wants to go into heaven, it's such a holy and pure place. If you've done anything wrong in your life, you're not fit to be there. But I'll tell you what, if you want to come, I'll sign the check. I give it to Jesus. He'll pay it and you're in. He pays the price. And I thought, well, I don't know about this Jesus because you know I can handle God 
but I couldn't get my head around Jesus. And it was like the Bible. Have you seen these? Whenever you travel, you get the Gideon Bibles, don't you, in the drawers. Have you seen them? I used to drive me mad. And I used to read it and think it doesn't make any sense. And as I read it, it might as well have been blank. Like that. Anyway, on the course, I started thinking, actually, I can understand a bit more of it. It's a bit like those, those tellies. You get black and white. And you get colour, you get the same picture, but you get more information in the colour. Now you get high definition, same picture, same story, but even more detail. And now we're going to ultra definition and super definition. And now when I read things and stories, I have even more clarity. Only a ten of these, they're great, aren't they? They're really, I bought it for kids, but the adults love them, they're brilliant. So, so I, I realised that, um, that I needed to forgive myself, and I found that really difficult. And I realized that, that if God existed, he wanted to reach out. And you know what? Most people I meet don't know where they've come from. They don't know why they're here. And they don't know where they go. And uh, let me just say, I, I eventually became ordained in the Church of England. I became a minister. And I bury people. And when I'm standing next to them in the hospital, when they've got cancer, whatever it is they're dying of, they never talk to me about the money they did or didn't earn. They always talk about, where are my loved ones? I need them with me when I'm dying. And then they say, most of them ask me where they're going. Because they don't know where they're going. Because when they're dying, they're really serious. I mean, they really want to talk about the meaning of life. They've been too busy elsewhere. elsewhere. So I'd like uh, someone to help me. Uh, This lady here. Hi, Matt. Would you come forward? And, uh, yeah? How are you? Come forward. Would you join me? Give her a big welcome. Nice to meet you. And what's your name? Sally. Sally. Hi, Sally. Right, Sally, I'm going to ask you if you can, can help me for a minute. I'm going to show you that. What does that say on there? Okay. The thing is that most of us see, if, if you think about church, you think it's about punishment. You think, oh, I'm going, what am I going to go there for? Because they're going to make me feel bad about myself. That's the wrong church. The whole point is that we're all, I mean, I'm rotten through and through. And I'm a minister in the Church of England. I could tell you the things I've done. I mean, I sit, sometimes I cringe. You know, you must have done and said things when you've had a few drinks at parties. And I've gone, oh. What have I said and done? I'm going to give you a piece of paper. You take the pink one. I've got the black one. Now, if I rip this in half like this, how many pieces do I have? Four. Yeah. And now I have six, Sally, yeah? Yeah. Apparently, I learned that in forgiveness... That <laughs> Sally, Sally wasn't feeling well, but she's picking up. I did that just, that was just for the line. That was just for that line. Thank you, Sally. All right, here we go. Watch. Now, I learned that no matter how much my, I felt my life was in pieces... And sometimes you have these mountaintop experiences, sometimes you have these valley experiences where you feel great or life's a mess. We all go through them. It's called the human experience. But I learned that no matter where I am in my journey, 
Once I realized that actually God had my self-interest on his heart, and actually I allowed him to steer my life, it doesn't matter whether I'm on the mountaintop or in the valley, I felt secure. I had security, self-worth, and significance. Could you just crush that for me? Give it a crush, yeah? Just stamp on it. Go on, get angry, Sally. That'll do. That'll do. Ah, yeah, all right, all right, love. Yeah. Where's your husband? Is she angry at home? Is she? No. Too well rehearsed, mate. Look at his body language, Sally. It's all, he's, look, he's all defensive. Look, he's... So, apparently he said that no matter what situation you find yourself in, with God's help, you can resolve it, and it can change for the better. So I'm going to take all these pieces that have been crushed and bent and twisted. I'm going to try and open it up and illustrate what I mean. A bit like this, Sally. Ready for this? And what happens is, no matter what situation you find yourself in, when you know that you are forgiven in your heart, and you are free from all the sin, all the guilt and shame. You can walk with a smile on your face. Thank you. Sally, thank you. Very kind. I don't know how I get away with that one, but I, I do. What is real? We live, in a, we live in a culture that we idolize. I love watching the X Factor, things like that on TV. But we end, up, we end up letting people who we've never met on TV shows or that we admire control our lives and te- start telling us what we think. People often don't, don't make a decision on the X Factor. And they say, here's Simon Cowell. And then they base the decision. Well, if Simon said it, it must be right. It's almost like we give away our choice. Uh, I'm going to take that £10 that we were just using a minute ago. If I take a £10, the reason why it's £10 is, it used to be in the olden days that people would carry silver or gold, precious metals. And because our pockets get weighed down with them, the, the governments decided to have paper that you could pay the bearer of the gold. And then it went to that it was like the government promised to pay the bearer. Basically, nowadays, when we have a piece of paper, it's not worth anything unless the government promises to pay the bearer. Like in Zimbabwe, they had billion-dollar notes, didn't they? So in this country, the government promises to pay the bearer of this £10. It's not £10 of silver anymore, but it's £10 of the economy. Now, if I crush it, does it change the value of, the current, of this note? No, it doesn't. Why? Because the government pay the bearer. If I insult it, sorry, Your Majesty, I'll turn you the other way around. You're stupid, you're ugly, you're worthless, you're useless, you're never going to do anything in your life. You're a failure. Does it change the currency? No. Does it change the value? No. What if I get it dirty and get it grubby? Does it change the value? No. No matter how grubby you feel, or scarred you feel, or hurt you feel, or you've been told you're useless, or a failure in your childhood, or whatever, you have never lost your value in the eyes of God. And I learned that I was valuable to God. Now that, that might sound a bit weird, 
But I needed to hear it because I was one of those people that was chasing the ace. 